Support for this podcast comes from Washington Wise, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington affect your portfolio and your money every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab. The show unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and investments. Listen today at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. That's schwab.com slash Washington Wise. Hey, stay tuned, listeners. The whistleblower scandal surrounding Trump and Ukraine is a big story and for good reason. As many of you know, I'm a co-host with Ann Milgram of the Cafe Insider podcast. Ann is the former attorney general of New Jersey, a DOJ alum and a dear friend who joins me every Monday to break down politically charged legal news making the headlines. Some stories are so big that we take down the paywall, or as we like to say, unseal or declassify it so that everyone can make sense of what's happening in this country. Last week, as you may know, the Washington Post reported that a whistleblower from the intelligence community alleged in a formal complaint that Trump made a troubling promise to a foreign leader. Then on Thursday, the Post reported that the complaint centers on Ukraine, and the New York Times reported the whistleblower complaint was, quote, related to a series of actions that goes beyond any single discussion with a foreign leader, close quote. The Wall Street Journal followed up with a report on Friday that during a July 25th call, just one day after Bob Mueller testified before Congress, Trump repeatedly urged the new Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden and business deals involving his son, Hunter Biden. It's also been widely reported that as Trump and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, pressured the Ukrainian government to investigate, the administration was withholding $250 million in military aid from Ukraine. What follows is a sample of my conversation with Anne about all these issues. If you want to hear the rest of our discussion, go to cafe.com slash preet and sign up to receive an email with a free link to the full episode. Where do we stand at this moment, Anne? Maybe let's start with the facts and we can run oh, through them. Yeah. The facts. I know. Okay. Let, let's be a little lawyer I was going to start with conjecture. We'll get there. <laughs> but facts is, facts is better. Let's go with facts. Just give us a couple minutes. Okay, so let's go back to, you remember July 24th, Robert Mueller testified before the House. The following day, Thursday, July 25th, there's a call between President Trump and the pretty newly elected Ukrainian President Zelensky. And the call is apparently to congratulate Trump calls Zelensky to congratulate him on his election. Now, a more extensive readout basically notes that they also spoke about investigation into corruption cases. And I'll talk about what comes after that, but I think this is the genesis of the conversation we're having today. On Monday, August 12th, a whistleblower from the intelligence community filed a complaint with the inspector general of the intelligence community, Michael Atkinson. Very high level, the intelligence committee has a separate whistleblower because so much of the material is classified, so it doesn't go through the normal practices and procedures, and there's actually a separate law to address what happens when there's somebody in the intelligence community who wants to make an allegation against of wrongdoing against the government or someone in right. government. And when such a person doesn't want to just go straight to Congress, doesn't want to leak to the press, like exactly. sometimes happens. And we'll, we'll discuss this over and over again before you continue with the overview. There's a lot of T-crossing and I-dotting yes. by a lot of people here, which I think you know, makes very, it different from other kinds of cases. Right. And it's a very formal process that's set out in the statute and what the inspector general has to consider and the decisions that the inspector general has to make. That happens on August 12th. There's a complaint filed. 14 days after receiving the complaint, the inspector general 
sends it to the acting director of national intelligence, the head of DNI, a guy named Joseph McGuire. McGuire, he was, remember Dan Coates was the head of DNI. He left recently. The person who was his deputy was pushed out by the president, and now we have Joseph McGuire. So that goes to him. He has, by law, seven days in which to transmit that complaint to the Intelligence Committee. That's seven calendar days. And he doesn't transmit it. Right. And the standard for having to transmit such a thing is whether or not the allegation made is of urgent concern. And when the inspector general sent it to the acting head of the DNI, he basically said it's credible and it's of urgent concern, at which point the acting head of the DNI had seven days to transmit it to the intelligence committees in Congress. He did not do so. At that point, on Monday, September 9th, so basically a week later, three House committees launched an investigation into reports that for nearly two years, the president and his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, were pressuring the Ukrainian government to investigate Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, for politically motivated reasons. And so that's ongoing. The same day, the first letter comes from the inspector general. And by the way, that's separate. We don't know how they got information to open those investigations, but that starts literally the same day the inspector general for the intelligence community, Michael Atkinson, sends a letter to the intelligence committee and says that there's a whistleblower complaint that he's deemed credible and to be an urgent concern. The chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, then sends a letter to McGuire, the acting DNI, saying, give us the full complaint. You're required under law. It's worth noting that the statute says shall provide, meaning must. That doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. <laughs> it doesn't always hasn't work. worked with the president's tax returns either. That's right. Um, so basically, a few days later, Schiff sends a subpoena to the acting DNI and says, we want everything by September 17th, or you have to testify before the full committee. A few days go by on September 17th. A second letter comes from the Inspector General Atkinson to the House Intel Committee. And what comes out in that letter is that the acting DNI has made this determination that no disclosure to Congress is necessary. And he basically does it on two grounds. One, he says it's not an urgent concern. And it doesn't impact the person who it relates to is not a member of the intelligence community. And this doesn't relate to conduct covered and work covered by the director of national intelligence. And basically saying the head of DNI is saying it's not an urgent concern. And we'll talk about whether that's legitimate in a second. The second part is he says um, that there are things that are potentially privileged and confidential that are related to the whistleblower complaint. The inspector general says he disagrees with that determination, but that he's going to respect it. And he's trying to figure out a way to get the information to basically let the complainant, the whistleblower, provide the information directly to Congress. So now we're at an impasse. Well, this yes. whistleblower uh, or whoever it was, because it sounds like it's not a whistleblower. You can't have that happen to a president of the United States. And you can't have people doing false alarms like this. So we're going to get into each component of that. We're going to talk about the impasse between the DNI and the House Intelligence Committee and the Inspector General. We're going to talk about congressional reaction. We're going to talk about the underlying allegations made by Rudy Giuliani and President Trump. The bottom line, based on a combination of reporting and also admissions made by the president himself about the phone call he made, is this. The President of the United States, after having caused the country for two years to go through a process of coming to grips with whether or not a foreign power interfered with an election and whether his campaign had anything to do with it. Literally on the day after, as you point out, Bob Mueller testifies in Congress, and some people thought maybe, you know, it, it landed with kind of a thud. The very next day, the President of the United States calls up a foreign leader 
And for the purpose of, because I don't see any other legitimate purpose, and we'll talk about it, for the purpose of hurting the leading rival in the 2020 election, right. calls upon that president to do something with respect to an investigation of his potential opponent, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and Joe Biden himself, according to the Wall Street Journal, said no fewer than eight times, you need to do this in the backdrop. The question is, is whether or not, as pressure, he was withholding $250 million in aid to Ukraine, badly needed, that Congress had already approved. And so there are questions of whether or not that's bribery, that's extortion, is there a campaign finance violation? But let me say something else here, because you and I are former prosecutors. Our business is, uh, largely during our lives, has been to figure out the details of criminal statutes and whether or not the elements of a crime have been made. And you and I have both been on television since some of this stuff broke. And I want to make a point that I've made then, and I want to make it here, and we should make it throughout. So here we go again. I want to be very careful that even though our you know, main professions have been criminal prosecution, that the country doesn't one more time go down the road of thinking, the only thing that matters here is whether or not a criminal statute was violated. You know, I go on TV, you go on TV, you get asked the question based on our background, well, was this bribery? Did this violate a law? Is it extortion? It may be some of those things. It'll take a long time, I think, to unfold and to figure out all the details and the facts. But <laughs> if these things are true, and if there was pressure brought to bear, and if the intent was to hurt a political opponent, and if he was doing that by having a conversation, a forceful conversation with a much smaller, weaker, poorer country, then that's an abuse of authority. It's, ab it's an abuse of power. And we shouldn't have to wait for some... We should have to wait for some prosecutor, a special prosecutor, to be able to make the case, chapter and verse, that a statute was violated, which, by the way, now everyone knows, as you and I have been saying for a couple of years, you can't indict a sitting president anyway. So we will get to whether or not laws were violated, but I think the terms of the debate on this question, I think in some ways it's much more serious than what was going on with the 2016 election because, because Trump was then a candidate. He's now the president of the United States. Yeah, I agree. We need to be clear that the question here is whether or not it was an inappropriate and completely ridiculous, over-the-top abuse of his authority, which, based on what I see so far, we're always very careful to see what the facts are, but based on what we see so far, it absolutely was. Yeah, I think if the facts as reported related to Ukraine are true, and one fact just to point out is that the allegation is, um, and Trump seemed yesterday to confirm that there was a conversation about um, investigating uh, Hunter Biden while they were discussing money, how military did he, how did he, aid. How did he describe that conversation? <laughs> because the president doesn't just have a conversation. In his remarks, he spoke with reporters Sunday morning, and he was asked if he would release the transcript of his call with the Ukrainian president, Zelensky. Trump describes the call as, quote, perfect, reiterated that he would talk about releasing the details of the call, and then says, you have to be a little bit shy about releasing it. But with all of that being said, we had a very great conversation, very straight, very honest conversation. I hope they can put it out. My conversation with Anne continues. Head to cafe.com slash Preet, where you can sign up to receive an email with a link to listen to the full episode for free. This story is significant, and there's a lot that remains unknown. Anne and I will continue to cover it as the news develops. I hope you'll listen to our conversations as we take our best shot at educating our listeners and each other. Once again, for a link to listen to this week's entire episode for free, head to cafe.com slash Preet. And if you'd like to become a member and get a two-week free trial, you can do that at cafe.com slash insider. You can also find these links in the show notes to the episode, which you can find in the app you used to listen to the podcast. 
To all insiders, thank you for joining us on the journey and supporting our work.